Hello, you're listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. We are a general interest independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. This year, because of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had to close our store and cancel in-person events. But Skylight is your neighborhood bookstore, and we are finding ways to create community even while we're far apart. In the coming weeks, we'll be putting out lots of new audio content to help you discover new books, connect with authors, and check in with your favorite booksellers. To learn more about how you can help keep Skylight alive, please visit our website at skylightbooks.com or check out our social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome, welcome, lovely listeners. Thank you for joining us here on the Skylight Books podcast. This is Skylit, our sort of quarantine remote podcast conversation series with authors all over the country. My name is Maddie Gobo. I'm the events manager here at Skylight Books in Los Angeles. If you're not familiar with us, uh, welcome. Thank you for finding our podcast. I don't know how you did that. Congratulations on your excellent detective skills. Um, Skylight Books is a general interest bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. We're open right now every day from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. for shopping with a mask. And we also do uh, online orders and curbside pickup through our website, skylightbooks.com. All right, so today we have uh, a fantastic conversation with some poems and maybe some funny anecdotes. I'm really excited to hear more. Um, Joining us today are Sarah Manguso and Jennifer L. Knox, who has a new poetry collection out called Crushing It. I'm going to read their official bios, but first I just wanted to say welcome to the podcast. Thank you both for being here, Sarah and Jen. Thanks for having us. Ditto that. (laughs) All right, so let's uh, introduce you to our listeners. So, Jennifer L. Knox is the author of Crushing It, which comes out from Copper Canyon Press on October 20th, as well as Days of Shame and Failure, The Mystery of the Hidden Driveway, Drunk by Noon, and A Gringo Like Me. Her poems have appeared in Great American Prose Poems, Best American Erotic Poems, The New York Times, The New Yorker, American Poetry Review, Granta, and five times in the Best American Poetry Series, including this year, 2020. She teaches at Iowa State University and is the proprietor of a tiny spice blend company called Salt Liquors. All right, and in conversation with Jennifer today is Sarah Manguso. Sarah Manguso is the author of eight books, most recently four works of nonfiction, 300 Arguments, Ongoingness, The Guardians, and The Two Kinds of Decay. Her first novel, Very Cold People, what a great title, I love that title, was forthcoming from Hogarth. She lives in Los Angeles and teaches at Antioch University. Sarah and Jennifer, welcome and take it away. Thanks, Maddie. Hi, Sarah. Oh, sorry, you just, you you cut out for a minute. Now you're back. It's totally my fault. My connection is unstable, um, which is symbolic, I think, of how I feel inside. Yeah, that's what she said. Yeah. Um, Maddie, thank you so much for having us. I am so excited to talk to Jen in any context from karaoke to post therapy to poetry podcasts, which are very serious like this one. Um, Mm -hmm. So I wanted to start by just um, telling the story of how I first became aware of Jen's amazing work. I was a screener at the Iowa Review in 1997 And so I read a lot of poems about prairies and sunsets and, you know, poetry stuff. And I got a packet of poems that Jen had sent with a, you know, very brief cover letter. So there wasn't a lot of biographical information on hand. And in that packet of poems was one called My Big German Bra, which I pushed for really hard to get into the magazine. Couldn't do it. But a few years later, it appeared in her amazing first collection, A Gringo Like Me, so, um, so, so, so ha. Um, And the, um, you know, the poems are are funny, um, but funny sort of with an asterisk. 
And um, I thought I should say something about funny writing in general, because um, as far as I know, the only funny writer to ever have won the Nobel Prize was Dario Fo. And, and when that happened, everybody just fell apart. They couldn't believe that a funny writer was getting the Nobel Prize. And um, you know, if you want anyone to consider you a serious writer, if you're funny, you're already doing it wrong. Um, so I, I, I just want to say that before um, Jen uh, reads from Crushing It, uh, a few poems, um, and um, just you know, just be aware that some of them might be funny. Thank you, thank you for the uh, warning, Sarah. I love to oh, read yeah. a, I love a warning. Yeah, content uh, warning. I'll just read and then I'll talk about funny. And the first poem I'm going to read has a very unfunny title, Old Women Talking About Death. And this is about all my mother's people in Southern Illinois, Metropolis. Old Women Talking About Death. When did I become one of them? I used to roll my eyes at their gory stories. EMTs found a neighbor at the bottom of her basement steps, a head-to-toe hematoma. Use a cane, I told her, shrugs. Grandma and the great aunts itemized her injuries. Poor dear, how long till she was found? They told their stories picnicking atop our people at the cemetery, atop all the men in our family who died young. The rest disappeared shrugs so no stories for them these days when i call Kay, she tells me about her friends who are dying or have died since we last spoke and i feel closer to her an adult yesterday jay filled me in on m's cancer it's bad she whispered i leaned forward m's doctors removed her necrotic uterus through her abdomen in two jammy black hunks because her insides had decayed into a sarcomatous tar pit. Then her incision dehissed. I cocked my head. Jay made a starburst motion over her belly button. Ah, I said. I've heard that happens with cancer. I was grateful Z had described the process to me after her stepmother died. Now I even have a name for that indignity. Thank God. I hate surprises. That's a lap riot. And this one's called Wolverine Season. Oh, honey, are you okay? I asked the woman in the bathroom, soaking wet as if she'd just emerged from the shower. Yeah, maybe too much rum on an empty stomach. She wiped her mouth with her hand and left. In the sink, waxy red flecks of lipstick. That woman over there just puked up lipstick in the bathroom, I yelled in my friend's ear over the Black Sabbath tribute band. She yelled back and smiled. Write a poem about that. We were up late for a school night. It was all part of the new regimen. The documentary I'd just seen about death said, rocking out is actually good for you. And rocking out to Sabbath, dude, we were gonna live like forever on the bones other animals passed up. God, I love that one. Thanks. That all happened. It was all, it's all true. Nonfiction. Okay, non I'm gonna myself for the next two and then I'm gonna hop back in. Okay. This is called The Gift. It's the poem that is in the new Best American Poetry edited by, um, by Paisley, 2020. The Gift. You can tell whether a bird has a mate if there are pin feathers on its head, new feathers that start out as stubs full of blood, then enshroud themselves in a white scaly coat as they grow. Preening releases the feather, but a bird can't reach the top of its own head. A mate preens that spot unless the bird is alone in a cage. Pin feathers itch, so I preen my unpaired birds, wrap them in a towel, 
scritch their heads, and blow till the dandruffy stuff flutters out. They look pretty mangy this morning, I recall, as I stare at the side of my mother's face from the back seat. How long has it been since I took her in for a haircut? And her whiskers, she can't see to shave. We're driving back roads, pointing out deer and hawks as she awes before taking her back to her apartment. Colin calls it traveling gravel. She loves it when he drives and I sit in the back so she could talk as much as she wants. He always answers her questions. Sometimes I'll go hours without saying a word while she talks and talks. When I was little, she'd bring a book to restaurants and read while I no doubt talked and talked. Things children said weren't interesting to her, she told me, and family never had to say I'm sorry. Yes, we've hurt each other, but only I've done it on purpose. Did I tell you she bought me this car? It's the most generous gift I've ever received. And this is the last one from the book. Uh, I've written, turns out, several poems in which Erwin Allen appears. Erwin Allen was the filmmaker who made The Towering Inferno, Airplane, wait, Airport? Airport, Airport, not Airplane. Oh man, I do not have this accessible. Airplane is the funny one. Airport is the funny one. Right, with um, Dean Martin and uh, I think Yves Saint Laurent de- uh, designed the stewardess's uniforms for oh, it. Oh, it was a quality. And there was Airport 77. Um, Towering Inferno, oh, The Poseidon Adventure. So all those big balls disaster movies. That was Irwin Allen. And I... Uh, one of my favorite movies is a documentary by Errol Morris called Fast, Cheap, and Out of Control. And it's about four men with very different jobs. One of them is a lion tamer. And he said when he was a little boy, everyone loved lion tamers. There, nobody questioned the, that as a career choice because back then they didn't know who would win in a battle of man versus nature which reminded me of Erwin Allen. And this is called Erwin Allen versus the Lion Tamer. We used to love lion tamers because people really didn't know who would win in a battle of man versus nature. Back then, all the stories ended in death, our death, by mauling or snake bite or dog bite or being struck by lightning, smothered by an avalanche, charged off a cliff, carried away in the talons of an eagle, inhaled by a whale, stung by a scorpion, swarmed by killer bees, gored by a rhino, poisoned by berries, pricked by a sticker, swallowed by quicksand, beguiled by a black cat, gobbled up by a witch. So imagine the relief with one flick of the whip and an up, the skulking lion stands on legs like a human. It's toothy protest, no big thing. After all those years of fear, I'd laugh at it too. And that's what people did until there were no more lions to laugh at. But Irwin Allen knew death doesn't live in a thing you can kill with a gun. It's not the heat, it's the hubris. The fire that wipes the city out begins in birthday candles and the happy huff behind The storm that flips the cruise ship starts in the sea that rises up to fill the empty sky. An airplane crash begins, not in birds, but in the feeders we've stolen the seed from. Certain nobody can see us. I'm I, I honestly, I, um, unlike crows who can count to four, I, I lost track in the middle. So I don't know if that was the third one or the fourth one. I'm just completely, I'm floating in space here. Um, that was four, oh, but great. okay. I made it to three. I think four is just around the corner. I'm still, I'm still at two. Oh, well, you know, good, good luck. Good luck with that. Um, yeah, there's a, there's an additional level of, uh, of, of, mediatedness because I turned my video off because my internet is 
mostly being used by my third grader who's in school right now in the next room. But um, nice. oh God. so one of the things that I, I haven't mentioned yet is how incredibly comforting your poems are. Oh my and God. They're, they're, um, I find them so comforting because they, they start out in humor, which, you know, it, it goes down like birthday cake frosting. And mm -hmm. then that, you know, any, I feel like anybody could see in about five lines that your humor is like, it's like a portal into fear, panic, shame, oblivion. And um, I, I don't know if this is, I mean, I don't know if I'm, I'm doing it wrong, but I just, um, I, I find that so incredibly comforting that I, uh, you know, I suddenly have a companion and the speaker of these poems in my daily, oh, that's um, you know, little, uh, you know, that's my beat, fear, panic, shame, and oblivion. I mean, it's basically, it's, yep. it's, it's pretty much my job. Um, so I, I was wondering, can you talk about humor in the context of your work and the context of those things? Sure. Uh, I'll start by saying that, let, let's say there's a big crowd in a town square and there's a, a woman in the middle of that crowd screaming and saying like, just flipping out. I'm like, there's mine. That's, that's mine right there. She's mine. So I too am compelled for, I think for some, well, for all of us, right. It's to be in a poem and to write a poem. It's a big moment. So my moments are meltdowns. Um, and if I manage to write myself enough to stand up, that's, that's great. Sometimes I think more, what I wrote when I was younger, I went down with the ship. But we don't explode into that flaming supernova. We just keep going. Yeah. So now as a much older person, I don't get to go down with the ship. Yeah, and that's the real punishment, right? Yeah, no, I recognize that about your first book. Everything ended in, a, in an incredible explosion. Oh, I even, sure. even poems like Chicken Bucket, even poems yeah. like... Um, hot ass poem which is more of like a lyric it um you know it, when we were young at least when i was young i thought you know that's the real punishment to die and now right. you know i'm looking at 50 oh right. now i get it the real yeah. punishment is to bury everybody else and yeah something clicked on i don't i i you know i think it was happening for you before this book i think it was um definitely in days of shame and failure maybe even even in um, uh, the book between Drunk by Noon and Days of Shame and Failure, uh, it was. Who, who remembers the title? Mystery of the Hidden Driveway. Oh, hidden Driveway. Yeah, I think I, it was Hidden I, Driveway. In your yeah, I have to remember in, where in your series, <laughs> in your series about cars, which is called Cars. Yeah, uh, not coincidentally. Um, yeah, there was this awakening of this kind of companion. Uh, this companion speaker, like there was still this this deep pull toward, as you're saying, the meltdown. But the speaker didn't get to just dive into the you know burning lava. The, the speaker was just kind of there. And so the, there's such an amazing uh, there's such an amazing example of just that effect in the poem that you just read about um, your mother, which is going to be in the best American poetry. You're in the mm -hmm. car, you're driving, but then you're not driving. You just have to stay in the car. And mm -hmm. um, that for me is just such a, it's, it's such a key kind of uh, Jennifer L. Knox image. Um, well, back to that, back to that woman melting down and screaming, if everybody's doing that, then you already know what's going to happen. So the surprise would be if she brushed herself off and walked away and you never saw her again. Oh God. Just walked yeah. out between two buildings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, people Maybe talk about, people talk about humor as an outlet, like, like, like it's a sort of, it's, it's, it's a way to, you know, express the real thing. Mm -hmm. Um, do you have any thoughts about that? It seems, it seems wrong to me, but maybe, there, I don't know. maybe it's not wrong. I, think there, I, I hope I have um, problems recalling words these days, but um, I think there are different kinds of humor. I have, even though I didn't get a word for it for a long time, I know now that I love to, I, I love to watch things. I love to hear things and I love to write 
with the premise of the incongruity theory, which sets you up with expectations and then moves it. And the shift can happen repeatedly throughout the poem, or it can wait, 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 wait. You think you know what's coming and then boom at the end, which feels like more of a surprise if you're not ready. If you, if you don't know, this room shifts and suddenly there's one big shift at the end, two lines from the bottom, that's going to feel like more of a surprise and, and more like you've been punked. Uh, there's humor that makes fun of other people. There's humor in which we make fun of ourselves. I, uh, I have done both. I've done, I've done all three. But my favorite thing to do is set up, because every poem is a different room. You walk in and it's decorated completely differently. A birthday party is going on in there. You don't know whose birthday it is. Um, everyone's wearing matching shorts. You, you didn't get the memo. You don't know who any of these people are. And you have to, and, and the goal is to get somebody to wade in, like get all the way to the middle and taste that cake. Mm. How you can do it. Oh man. So part of the, part of the, um, part of what I like to do and why I think people identify my work with humor is that when you walk into that room, I like to play a little dumb. Mm. Yeah. Which is also not going to win you a Nobel prize. <laughs> oh no. But it gives right? you an opportunity um, to sort of just exist free of other people's expectation. Um, you know, it's- I'm free of that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that. I, uh, well, maybe, maybe less than before, but mm. one thing that we probably both know by now, and this is the servicey part of this podcast, is that whatever happens to you on the outside, like if you get into best American poetry, for example, or publish a bunch of books, you feel the same way as you always did. So it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, I don't, it's kind of, no, if I don't know if I do, because I have. So ask the poet who's never been in Best American. Ask the poet who has not published a collection and tried hard all their lives, and loves doing loves doing what they're doing, but has not gotten a, a payoff. Yeah, I bet they would say, "No, Sarah, it does not feel the same." So, well, I mean, that's, that's the obvious part though. So like, of course that's going to feel bad, but well, I just want to push back against this idea that if you're writing poems out of a sense of, um, you know, wanting to be able to wade into that room full of people all wearing the same shorts that you're just not at all wearing, um, yeah. you know, you can still, you can kind of still inhabit that character. Um, I wanted to ask you, like, I don't, there might not be an answer to this question, but is there, is there, do you have a favorite mode of humor from among those three that you've, that you've described? Definitely the, definitely the incongruity theory, because uh, that's something if, if you're familiar with James Tate's work, that's something that he uses a lot. Russell Edson uses it a lot. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be funny. What, oh, yeah. the, what the reader is aware of is that something isn't lining up. So all the information that we've accumulated over our lives has created shortcuts in our brain. And there's something about the way this is written that's saying, uh, 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 and it could be just a, a word, just the way something's phrased that makes you back up. It's, wow, I think you, you just gave me a breakthrough. You seriously just gave me a breakthrough. It's, it's yeah. not humor per se, it's, it's incongruity. Because when people are faced with incongruity, especially at a poetry reading, they laugh. Yes, oh but yes. Yeah. Not, because it's, not because it's necessarily funny. Um, it may be the most horrific scene ever, but the, it's the incongruity, it's, it's, it, it, it triggers laughter. Um, laughter is a, 
laughter is a having problem problems oh. getting the it's a what a result of it it's a especially when you're in a group it's a way of feeling connected to the group mm. that's why humor with poetry is in, incongruous to begin with because it's inclusive because, be, yes because what poetry does what the centers that it lights up in our brain are the same ones that are lit up by music and meditation which is um solo stuff mm. humor on the other hand makes us feel aligned with the people who yeah. are around us it's a shared experience it's a yeah it's, it's reactive a performance yeah. yes um, i want to talk about i would i would love to hear you talk more about the incongruity as it as it relates to adhd which is one of the one of the many things that this book explores so well and in fact there's even a poem called how to manage your adult adhd which is probably impossible to read aloud but um is wonderful right. to read on the page try and fail i was thinking about recording uh readings of poems for my press copper canyon press and i thought huh I might try and give that one a whirl. And there are like nine different voices in it. So yeah, maybe you could do it with like 10 different people. Yeah. Or I thought like, okay, I'm going to move the camera. So you see this oh, side of my face yeah. that signifies that, you know, mm -hmm. the voice shift. Yeah, like a Maria Bamford kind of thing. Ex yes, it's a very, very Maria Bamford-esque poem. Uh, so incongruity and ADHD, and I just pass out. Oh, that's perfect. I don't even want you to continue. Um, yeah. Something I want to throw in that just seems so relevant and weird is that you are one of three female poets over 40 that was, or who was, I should say, you're all human as far as I know, um, who got uh, a, a late in life ADHD diagnosis. Oh yeah, and um, yeah, and one of one of these one of these women who um, I don't remember if I'm allowed to say who it is, so whatever. It, um, uh, she, she said, you know, when when creative people have ADHD, they tend to gravitate to poetry because you don't have to really think about anything for more than a line, and then it all it all restarts again. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I started off with glass blowing. So oh, if see, you think, I didn't even know this about you. 20 years. If, if you think you're going to do that with ADHD um, once, you're going to do that once. <laughs> then I tried filmmaking, which is expensive. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you have to plan everything out. And the payoff, the, it, it's not in the making that there's payoff. Mm. It's, in the, it's in the completion that there's payoff. That, that's too long for me yeah. to wait. Delayed gratification, no thanks. Way, yeah, way too long. Um, poetry is cheap. We can, I, I remember once thinking, I'm, I might have been on acid, that when you get to a period in a poem, you can switch into something else. Like the voices, the, the force driving the poem can shift between letters in the words yeah. within a word yeah it is so quick it is so fast uh it's fast, like cheap and out of control one might right. even say yeah. yep light them up and let them go and the failure well i think there's two parts of writing there's the generative part which is when mindy my adhd brain gets to run amok and it's like, you know, that uh, game show game where you're in the booth and you're catching dollar oh, bills. Oh, dollars, yeah. Yeah. So it's that. Yep. And you just get to lie as much as you want. But it's in the editing that I have to rope that in and think, okay, I'm actually talking to someone. What is it, what is it going to take to get them to read to the end? Where the surprise is, surprise! <laughs> uh and feel that there was a payoff for it i think that's another reason why again uh funny poets don't win the nobel prize 
that humor humor is seen as a waste of time masturbatory what am i going to get out of this how oh, am i no. when am i going to learn about being human right right i want to learn something yeah it, right. if it doesn't feel like homework then it's not it's not literature um and, and, and i'm saying that in quotes of course if the writer's making fun of themselves um that's for them if the writer's making fun of other people, that's also for them. But to approach it through, I'm, I'm going to take you into something where you think you know what's happening, that's a lot more uh, directed. But uh, some people would also think it's sneaky. And wait, you're telling me something that's not true? <laughs> well, that's, I think, uh, I think that everyone has a very special intuitive ratio of their autobiography to the page mm. and and how much scrutiny of the outside world they're willing to bring into that too that reminds me of a conversation we had about um again i think it was your your suite of pro, prose poems called cars yeah and speaking um of, yeah speaking of adhd my god uh, I mean, that, that is just a masterful work, uh, which I recommend to everybody. Um, but I remember um, going, going through that and going through the rest of the book, and I was telling you, you know, my favorite ones, the ones that just made me want to lie down on the floor and think for a year before having to get up and talk to anybody. Um, you, you said, oh, you just like the ones that are true. And, and I thought, oh my God, am I really, am I really that limited in my, in my reading? But, um, but, but yeah, you know, I really, um, there's something um, different, not, not any better or worse, but there's something distinct about that mode where, where we're, we're writing about personal shame, so, you know, more, shame. more risk at stake, uh, less wheel spinning. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, I guess so, and I, and I guess the place that it comes from is 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 the same, but the the expression is different. Um, well, you know, we've been talking about shame for the past fifteen years at least, and um, I wonder if there's anything more that we haven't covered that we that we might talk about now. Well, you were the first person to bring up shame at dinner. Oh, I remember. Me. Yeah, with me, and I was like, "Ooh, here's an interesting, here's here's an interesting new hobby." Talking mm. about shame, I love it. Oh wow! Uh, when when was that? that? Do you remember like the the decade that was, or the year, or where we were, nope. or what I was yeah. wearing? We were eating outside. It was near bar between A and B. Okay. Uh, I think it might have been one of our first first hangouts first dates yes yeah, first dates you said you said i have a friend who's uh who does porn and she said i'm not in it for the money i'm in it for the shame oh yeah i stole that line and i put it in a book it's good it's a girl oh, yeah she well she's a genius um yeah good for her yeah, she's 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 doing okay. She's she's doing okay. Um, but but yeah, and then then for a while, I guess it must have been after that dinner that we had, um, we would frequently um, end a conversation or or end an anecdote or sort of you know curtail curtail your anecdote by saying, oh, oh, there it is. There's the shame. There's, There's the, shame. the shame. And you know, I still think of that. That's like this wonderful little lyric voice in my ear. Sometimes when I'm reading or I'm thinking about something that just happened, there's or somebody working their way through a topic. Like, just just follow me on this one. I I need to get this out. <laughs> yes, you there. do. There's the yeah. shame. Yeah. And then there's this this line that uh, of yours that also rings in my ears. That um, we were talking about writing autobiographically, and you know whether whether that's you know something that should be distinct from other ways of writing, you know, no. Um, and, and then you very offhandedly said something that made me very envious, actually. And it it was um, when you said, "Oh no, I've got like it was like I've got like entire shipping containers full of shame that I have not even opened yet." 
Oh and my I God. thought, oh man, you know, what? and then I, I thought I was done with mine, but you know, of course it turns out that I, I too have those containers floating oh, it's, me like bluebirds in a cartoon flying around my head. So getting, getting my diagnosis in my late forties has enabled me to see why a lot of my life, especially my childhood turned out the way it did, worked the way it did. If you've ever had somebody that you've just met two minutes later say, hey man, fuck you. I have, not just once, then you know like shit can get weird really fast and go sideways. Um, and one hit me in the head last night This because I was watching Pen15. Do you know Pen15? Of course I know Pen15. Okay, good. Um, so I was watching one of the episodes and a, a horrible experience came back and just knocked me sideways. And now at least I know why that happened. I was just reading something about ADHD. The part that it, the part of the brain that they don't talk about, they really haven't studied, studied it, but that it affects the most is impulse control, which I've got in spades. That's why I'm a poet. Yeah, but you've, I don't think of you as an impulsive person. I mean, you, you know, you hold jobs, you, you own a business, you maintain relationships, but maybe you've found a way, you know, like all of, all of these, um, you know, obedient women, I guess, under patriarchy, like they're, you know, the, that's actually how I to be preferred to be referred as yes Jen. oh jen no, no she's <laughs> the one thing i can say is that she's so obedient no but come on i mean i i don't I, the the it's the the male poets that we know with impulse control are the ones who are in jail um but right. you i mean i'm saying that this is like maybe part of your artistry you, you funnel it into, your, into the poetry what's that sticking their dicks in dick in if, a few exactly spots. yeah i am um, there poems that I've written and published and I know that if I had if I had more impulse control I wouldn't have published them I never would have written them mm. yeah. um, there I now I am living in central Iowa uh, I married a wonderful guy but the fact that I moved here from New York not I didn't have a lot going on but that I up and did that, that shows, uh, a, and sometimes I'll look over at him and he has incredible impulse control. So mm. the fact that we did this is a testament to the power of my lack of impulse control. That's so interesting because I think any normal person looking at that, and I'm not including myself in that group, but any normal person uh, would say, I wish you would. Well, that's how you know it's true love um, and they describe it as like a beautiful love story but um but yeah no totally it's it's pathological yeah I, i'm with you on that i mean you're not living in you know the metropolis of ames with uh you know whatever oh. ames has you're living in a how many people live in your town uh i don't know it's like uh, but a lot, of them have, a lot of them have trump flags i'll yeah. tell you that yeah. So like, yeah, yeah there it is. I, I just feel like, yeah, we, I wanted you to describe that a little bit more. Um, Trumpy, um, we have a I don't diner. Yeah. I don't want to dox you or anything, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a small town. Yeah. And you were living in Brooklyn for a lot of years. I, yeah. 14 years. Do you think it's changed the way that you write to not be in New York anymore? A hundred percent. How so? In this book, because I, put together the last one, which is Days of Shame and Failure. A lot of that was written when I was living in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. um, the difference is that there is not as much, what, not as much stimuli that is incidental. Mm. It is extremely elemental here. People talk about the weather so long, I think my eyes are gonna pop out of my head and just blood is going to gush down my face. They can sustain conversations about the same topic 
So being that, being that I'm ADHD and I know a lot of the people around me were because they were artists and um, a lot of poets. I mean, we, shoot, we went through it. We could circulate through a hundred topics in 30 seconds. So I've slowed down. Um, I think most of the poems in the new book have, are not just an, are not just an exercise. Like, uh, I, I wrote four times as many poems for this book as I have for the previous books that oh, didn't make it interesting. Anyway. That's really interesting. A lot more drafts. And the thing that, the thing that, the door that they had to cross was risk, personal risk. Yeah. So would you say that most of the outtakes were sort of, um, you clearing your throat, getting ready to, to take a risk, but not necessarily having risk inherent in the draft? I think that what ended up being the book is a lot more cohesive, even though, and I just figured this out, I have been organizing my books so that it feels like you're moving through the channels on a TV from channel to channel, like everything is a very abrupt. Oh, yeah. Because I watched, I, I, I grew up out in the middle of nowhere, and I probably watched about 20,000 hours of TV from the age of three to 14. Mm -hmm. So I like a big hard break between poems. Yeah, it makes them more potent. That's that's what your your poems always have in the book. There's never that sort of, um, you know, oh, I'm I'm being carried along on this word or not wordless, but I'm being carried al along on this feeling like like a slow river. But there's every single poem in your book is potent. It's like potent, 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 potent. Nothing is just leading into the next thing. Each each poem is distinct from all the others, and that channel changing makes perfect sense to me now you know they're not as distinct from each other as you think it's the hard break that makes it seem like everyone's different there's probably four styles um, in the book like you only need four colors to make a map that, nah. right? yeah yeah when, when we were taught that, no, when we were taught that in fourth grade, here, color this in in four colors. Try to make a couple of them, t or I don't know. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I was amazed that whatever they asked us to do, it sure worked. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's something that you would, that, that's something that ordinary people would only learn if they were, what, color psychologists and elementary school teachers. Yeah, elementary school is amazing. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got to yeah. really boil it down to what's essential. Yeah. Or and make, really make it fucking up lot. for kids hey, for like the next 20 years. The last thing I want to ask you about is to just talk about the title because I know the titles of your books are are chosen with extreme care and each one is really important to the work. Well, um, this one was uh, a gift from the poet Ada Lamone. I was telling her the story of being diagnosed, uh, of my diagnosis and the trip to the doctor and um, how we sat at this table and he had me build, he had me mirror the assembly of blocks that he was putting together. I had to do it on my mm -hmm. side of the table backwards, like it was in a mirror. And then he would ask me a series of rapid fire questions and then we'd go back to the blocks. And at first I was, I told her I was crushing it. I was nailing it. And I thought, man, you better slow down a little bit or you're not ever going to get any Adderall. And then I sort of lost it. Uh, I couldn't make the block puzzle anymore. When I came to the guy who was giving me the test was looking at me like, boy, you're an idiot. And I was like, oh, not crushing it. And she said, that's the title of the book, your next book, Crushing It. Oh, that's brilliant. What did the and therapist or psychologist then say? He, well. I mean, in other words, were you, were you right about how you were doing? Um, he joylessly smiled just to show me that 
I was on to something when I, I said like, oh, I'm really not doing so good anymore. But <laughs> the real kicker was he put me in a room by myself. Oh, God, who wants to do that? Old, with an old DOS computer. And what I was supposed to do was click the mouse every time there was a sound. Oh, Jesus. So let me tell you, when I walked out of that room, that computer said, who is that ADHD bitch? She's nuts. Because I was just clicking and clicking and clicking and clicking. You had to try and click as fast as you could. So, oh. of course, I was preemptively clicking. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, not that this should matter, but I took my, uh, my young son in for a hearing test before, you know, he was like two or three before he really understood what an instruction was, whether, you know, it is an instruction or a suggestion or do right. they just want, really want to see me raise my hand? Cause I'm really good at raising my hand. It was a disaster. It was a Here's disaster. My hand. Yeah, exactly. It was like that. Anyway, he can hear. Um, and you can definitely write poems, Jennifer L. Knox. It is such Wait a pleasure up. to get to talk with you Wait about these. That was, that was a great, oh, I wanted to say one thing. Oh, okay. Maddie, let's it, paste this in before the, it was so great, dot, dot, dot. You've got it. In, in, uh, in getting the results of my test, he said, my, the doctor asked me, have you ever been in a car accident? And I said, yeah, <laughs> lots of car accidents, referring to the prose poem Cars, which is not an exhaustive list of several of the car accidents I've been in. Mm -hmm. And he said they were going to make that exclusively the definition, the, the symptoms in the, what is it, the medical handbook? Sure. Where, what is it, the MDMA? Uh, no, the, yeah, no, I mean, it's the, uh, I can't remember. Uh, this is what happens. M25, MK. Oh, shit, wait, no, I have to look it up. The DSM, DSM manual. So there was a movement to make the entire, do you have it, yes or no, ADHD entry, how many car accidents have you had? Oh, wow, and, if, and how many did you have to be in? Like 10? Uh, I think there were three. Oh, so I was three. Wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. I guess mm -hmm. I don't have that. I'm almost disappointed. But I, I remember things, though. I remember a reading that we did in Los Angeles at yep. the museum. And there was, or maybe it was somewhere else. It, it was somewhere else. Um, but I read that prose poem, Cars, and whoever I was with said, hey, you want to you wanna drive my car and drive us back? And I think it was Ellen Michael Parker said, are you out of your mind? You're going to let her drive your car? <laughs> it's also happened at the museum. There was oh. somebody there who said, hey, you want to drive, drive back? Because well, that, was, that was when I had my driving phobia. That could very well have been me asking, asking you to drive my car. And in fact, I think... It was during that visit or another one. We went to Antelope Valley, so I could see the where you know I, I could see the the sort of where you where you appeared from the bowels of the earth, yep. and um, and you drove my car because I you know I had to. It was like uh, my ninth year of living in California that I finally uh, was able to drive on freeways. But um, yeah, everything it was way too fast. It's like too fast to process anything. Um, yes. Yeah. I feel they're, like we could segue into a whole conversation about karaoke and slow songs and fast songs, but I, maybe that's for another time. Maybe that's for a different podcast. Yeah. When we meet again. When we meet again. All right. So now the important part's over. I'm going to turn my video back on. I'm sorry my connectivity was so shitty. We just got better internet, but it's, um, it's not enough. Hey, Maddie. How, we have shit internet through and through. Was that? We have shit internet through and through. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Well, I, I was able to hear you both. It was a great conversation. I had so much fun great. listening. Thank, Thank you so you. much, Mary. You're really great. kind. Um, All right. Well, Jen, congratulations again. More. It menopause, Maddie. <laughs> Wait, say that again? It menopause brain fog. I know, have words. 
<laughs> oh god it sucks you could have fooled um, me did i t- already tell you to read darcy steinke's uh, memoir or essay collection oh mm-hmm. good okay yeah read that okay. it's the only good menopause book i've found all right is there anything else you want to say to our listeners before we say goodbye yeah jen is there a thing that you want me to ask you so you can say the thing that you need to say um no i realized i didn't even ask you like is there something that you want to talk about or you want me to ask i was just like i'm doing this (laughs) i love it i love it you know i love it when you tell me what to do Mm. and what's gonna happen i love (laughs) telling people what to get up for crayons got them Raise your hand. Yeah. All right. Yeah, well, then we're we're, we're good then, right? Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. Right. Thank Maddie, you, Maddie. Thanks again. I can't thanks wait to hear you. it. And um, yes, until we meet again in Valhalla. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon. I see.